to minister to one another as that opportunity grants us and, and to anybody else along our way this day. And Lord, may it be such a day full of such joy. And we ask, Lord, as we walk through First Peter this year, you would transform our hearts by the renewing of our minds so that we would know you and follow you with wholehearted devotion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was the spring of 1981, and I had just walked on the football team at Ole Miss. Long story. I'll spare you the details. But it was, it was a little uh, anxious time in my life. You know, the final cuts were happening. I wanted to be a walk-on. I knew I wasn't as big and fast and strong as these guys, but at that time I was 195 pounds, a little thicker. A little faster, a lot stronger. And they said the, the cut sheet, the team people who made the team, their names would be posted on the board outside the locker room. So all the defensive backs were for me. All the scholarship guys, they were good guys. And what was fun about this group, it was a mixed race group. It was black guys, white guys. They were for Gene to make the squad. So we walked down the hallway, looked up at the board, and there was my name. I got to be a piece of meat on a hook for these guys to beat up on. Yay. I was thrilled. I was thrilled. And so these guys were, you know, congratulating me and what have you. And so we, we walked out of the locker room to go to dinner. And as we're walking down the hall and down the sidewalk, a group of Ole Miss sorority girls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. I'm talking, they were there for their MRS degree, not their BA or BS. All right. And a couple of these scholarship guys knew these girls. And so there was about a group of 12 of them. There were about 12 of us. And they started getting in a conversation, and these guys are introducing me to all these beautiful, beautiful young co-eds at the University of Mississippi. And I got to a conversation with one of them. It was about a 15-minute conversation, and I'm, I'll spare you the details of that conversation. But as we're departing, this one beautiful Mississippi girl said, Hey, Gene, call me. And I was thinking all kinds of thoughts. But I did think this thought. Where am I? This is weird. People don't talk like this. I, is this where I belong? And so all these guys going, Gene, you ought to call her. And so I was still in relationship with Kim. And I'm like, no, I got a girl back in home. But that wasn't the only thing that I was thinking. Heck no, I'm not calling her. The point being is my experience in culture differences at Ole Miss pale in comparison to what's going on in the church's lives at Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and what they were feeling as new Christians in the first century. Peter writes this letter in AD 62-63. Who do you think was the Roman emperor in AD 62 and 63? Nero. 
Nero. Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire. If you were a Christian, you were an outlaw. And you, if you were caught, you were sentenced to death. You'd be brought to Rome and lit on fire as a candle at nighttime for the people to have light to walk down the streets. It was that kind of persecution. So how do I live? How do these people live in a neighborhood, a country, a world where a whole segment of the population believes you're not, you don't belong here. It's not necessarily the culture around that that has changed, though. It's they've changed because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And which one of us, over the years, hasn't thought this? For our young people, this is what they know. But those of us who've lived for a time realize how fast our culture has changed. But it's not so much that the culture has changed, which is a surprise. It's how we've changed and our priorities have changed in Jesus Christ. So, my friends, for the next six weeks, we're going to spend time in the letter of 1 Peter. I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. It's in the back of your bulletin, or you can get it on your device. We're going to begin to walk through this because this is exactly the types of questions that Peter is addressing for the first century church. We're going to walk through 1 Peter till All Saints' Eve, where we'll celebrate All Saints' Day, and then we're going to focus on stewardship, then Thanksgiving, then we'll have Advent, then we'll have Christmas, and then Epiphany, we'll come back to 1 Peter. I've been honestly looking forward to preach through the book of 1 Peter for three years now. Because this began in a conversation with my dear friend June Love about three or four years ago when she looked me in the eyes in the ways that only Junie can look at you and says, Gene, when are you going to write a book? Write a book? I'm not an author, June. Who says? She starts challenging me and pushing me like a good Christian sister pushes people. And she goes, if you could write a book, what would you write it on? I didn't hesitate. First Peter. So we got in a conversation on why First Peter is good for 21st century Christians, and it just dawned on me, maybe I should preach through it and get to really know it before I even consider writing a book. I, I've never written a book. I don't even think it will sell anything, but I'm going to write a book. She's holding me to it. All right? And you guys can now because I've announced it to the world. But the reality is the first letter of Peter, whose name was Shimon, Simon the fisherman, when he became a follower of Jesus, was part of that inner circle of 12 apostles. And so when Peter made his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Kephas, which means rock. And in Greek, it's known as Petros. In English, we call him Peter. Jesus promised that he would become the leader among the apostles to proclaim the, the Messianic community in Jerusalem through its earlier years. And that's exactly what's happened as we read in Acts chapter 4. And eventually, Peter was called to carry this good news beyond Israel's borders. And this letter was written decades into that mission. We discover at the conclusion of this letter that Peter is in Rome. And that while Peter commissioned this letter, it was actually composed and written by a co-worker named Sylvanus. 
This was a circular letter. It went from, you know, Galatia, Pontus, Cappadocia to Bithynia. It went to the churches to be read publicly, which is in, of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. For Peter learned that these mostly non-Jewish followers of Jesus, they were Gentile followers of Jesus. They were converts, converts. They were Roman citizens, and they're being fiercely persecuted. They were facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And so Peter wrote them to encourage them, and you're going to see why. And this helps explain the letter's design and its main themes. It opens, as you've heard, read with this glorious greeting. It moves into a poetic song of praise and song. It introduces the key themes that are explored in the main body of the letter, finishing with an encouragement to persevere despite persecution. As a way to bear witness to the community and also as a way to recognize as a church that this is not all there is. We have a hope and a future that doesn't compare to anything in this world. And so... With that, Peter, among the first disciples of Jesus, he knew the highs and lows, didn't he, of walking with Jesus from his own experience. I mean, Peter walked on water because of his great faith and nearly drowned because he lacked faith. Right? He confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then he denied he ever knew him. Peter knew firsthand that following Jesus is not for the faint-hearted. And Peter, in 21st century language, was an absolute mess. So when you think, I'm not that great a Christian, <laughs> welcome to my club. Welcome to Peter's club. But he discovered the grace of God in his own life as you have, and he was moved by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to show us today how we can follow Jesus in a culture which is increasingly hostile to the message like theirs was. And honestly, over the past few years, I think this is the best way to help somebody be a disciple, to walk through the whole first book of Peter. You know, I've, I've done discipleship studies before and they jump from one book to the other you know and all of a sudden the person doing the study feels that they can't keep up see we're all called to be disciples we're we're discipled by the world or we're discipled by the word of god and therefore as disciples first peter helps uncover the key issues of the christian life all in one book and exploring this one letter, we all will learn how to make disciples of others. And so this series will take us step by step through this one book of the Bible. We'll leave off on verse 3. We'll pick up at verse 4 next week. It's my favorite way to preach through the Word of God. And so by the end of the series, you will know First Peter better. But more importantly, you will have the confidence in knowing how to learn from other books of the Bible. How you can grow in the Christian life and you can pass it on to others. And make disciples yourself. Another great advantage of learning the basics of the Christian life from one book is that God sets the agenda, not the preacher. You know, because if I was going to do a discipleship manual, 
I can think of a lot of things that I would focus on, all things you have heard from me before, but I'm not certain that I would include sessions on freedom, confidence, humility, and coping with suffering. But this is exactly what we're going to see, and that's exactly what you and I need to thrive in the Christian life today. God knows we need to learn these things, and that's why the Holy Spirit moved Peter to include them in this amazing letter. So our goal is to explore God's discipleship manual unedited. And as you get inside this letter, I promise you, it will get inside you. And it will help you provide God-given direction for your life. So let's look at this, shall we? 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Peter gives basically five hashtags to God's people. Five identity markers of every single person who's ever placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They are hashtag God's elect. Hashtag part of the dispersion, in other words, strangers in the land, exiles. Hashtag chosen by God. Hashtag sanctified, which means set apart for God. Hashtag obedience to Jesus Christ. Hashtag sprinkled by the blood of Christ. These are staggering truths that are true of you and true of me. If we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, these things are true. You are elected they god voted for you you're in the dispersion in this world you feel like you just don't belong at times it's a little strange to you you are chosen by god as part of the family you're sanctified set apart for obedience to jesus christ hashtag you're sprinkled by the blood of christ you are clean that's the way he sees you Get over it. It's a reality. It's a truth that we should walk into. That's amazing. And that's you. That's me. If you were to live for a thousand years, you wouldn't be able to understand it. The new reality of who you are in Christ is bigger than any of us can fully comprehend. It's something for you simply to receive and rejoice in. So I want you to stop for a moment and let those truths sink in. You have been chosen by God. You live in this world, but you don't belong to it. You belong to Jesus Christ. God has called you to a life of walking in the fullness of him, and that's defined as obedience. And he's put you in a position where you can do it. Your past is totally forgiven everything you've messed up on is he doesn't even remember it so why do you so as this letter unfolds it will become clearer and clearer to us and to peter and his readers are exiles of a different sort so he ends this marvelous greeting with a simple prayer of blessing upon each and every one of us as we read it May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace, God's unmerited.
unmerited favor. That's the world you live in. He's extended grace to you in Jesus Christ. And therefore, you have peace with God. And this isn't peaceful, easy-feeling peace. Eagles, 1974. All right? This is God's peace. He's not angry with you. He's gentle and lowly with you as you place your trust in Jesus Christ. It's a genuine peace with the eternal God of the universe who loves you with an everlasting love. And this grace and peace, Peter doesn't stop there, may it be multiplied to you. In other words, this grace and peace is put into the Fidelity Grace and Peace Fund. The moment you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, and you know about investing, right? You just keep chunking away from the time you're 22 all the way to you retire at 75-ish, whatever you retire, right? You got a million dollars. It's more than you can ever imagine. And you just kept investing 50 bucks, 100 bucks, right? It's multiplied. That's what grace and peace does in Jesus Christ. Do you know that grace? Do you know that peace? Oh, brothers and sisters, you will as you walk through Peter with me this fall. One of my favorite Peanuts cartoons is, you know that wall that Charles, uh, Charles Schultz would draw, that Charlie Brown and, and characters would gather and just sit there like this, right? Well, one day, Lucy was philosophizing to Charlie Brown. He just says, Charlie Brown, life is a lot like a deck chair. Some open up the deck chair and look at the past. Others look, open up the deck chair and look at the present and the future. Charlie Brown sighs, I can't even get mine unfolded. <laughs> We're all called to make disciples. And we're making disciples as we are disciples. My friends, please unfold your deck chair of discipleship with me this fall. Will you please? Because we're here for the long game. This isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's messy. We make mistakes in Christ. We do what we don't want to do. And the very thing we want to do is the thing we don't have to do. And the truth is not in us. Does that sound familiar? That's Paul. We did it this summer. Romans 7. You know, this is the, it's the experience of the Christian life. It's, it's just messy, like Peter. He didn't learn math. Spanish, history, physics, overnight. It took time. It took study. Well, being a disciple is the same. Christians weren't called Christians until they got to Acts chapter 11. In chapter 4, they were called disciples. That's who we are. Christian disciples. And many people treat discipleship like the whitening strips that people use on their teeth. The Sherman family have naturally yellow teeth, so we don't worry about it. But, you know, many of you, you know, use the, the whitening strips. You know, you, you put them on and you leave them on, and you got to keep doing it, right, to keep your teeth nice and white and bright. But the strips have to be applied consistently over a period of time for them to work. They don't work if you use just once and don't come back to it. But many of us, Go for one week being diligently, living diligently in the disciplines of Christ. 
and want that effort to last all year long. We're looking for long-term change with short-term effort. Salvation is an act. Sanctification is a process. We're saved by grace, and we're sanctified by grace. And we've been sanctified for obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. It's who you are. It's who I am. May grace and peace be multiplied as you unfold your deck chair and walk day by day in discipleship with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this opportunity we have this fall to walk through this marvelous letter that Peter wrote that is so relevant to our day. And I pray that as we do so, you be glorified in this grace and peace that Peter speaks about, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to the first church in Asia. May grace and peace be multiplied to us as well. That no matter where we are in our journey, Lord, you would do a marvelous work in us. And we recognize the mess that we are is beautifully transformed into your image, Lord Jesus, so that we can be a blessing in your kingdom in this one. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.